Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. From time to time, we run live events to debate important aspects of politics, policy or current affairs from a Welsh perspective. This podcast is a recording of an event co-hosted with our friends at the Wales Governance Centre at Cardiff University, discussing the independence campaigns both north and west of the border with England. Jess Blair of the Electoral Reform Society Cymru is chairing. So welcome to this special Horizon Wales Government Centre event that asks the question, very broad question, what is happening in Scotland and Wales? And what a time to ask that question. Uh, just a few weeks ago we saw the Supreme Court unanimously decide that the Scottish Parliament does not have the power to legislate for a referendum on Scottish independence. Monday saw the launch of Gordon Brown's Commission's report, finally, with some recommendations on how to reform the UK Constitution. And as Matt mentioned, in Wales today we saw the interim report published from the uh, Independent Commission on the Constitutional Future of Wales, and that's quite a mouthful. Um, The three options that the Commission have narrowed down their discussions to for the next year are to strengthen and entrench devolution, uh, federalism and independence. And it won't be the last time we hear the I word tonight, as I am joined by the authors of 2022's most thoughtful books on independence in Wales and Scotland. Joining me this evening are Will Hayward, Welsh Affairs Editor at Wales Online and author of Independent Nation, Should Wales Need the UK, and Jerry Hassan, a leading commentator on Scottish politics, Professor of Social Change at Glasgow Caledonian University and author of Scotland Rising, The Case of Independence. Good evening, both. Hello, good evening. So, plan tonight is we'll have a little chat and then I'll open up for questions, but let's start by setting the scene. Will, your book is probably the most recent intervention, at least, on independence in Wales. Um, As I said, I think probably the most thoughtful to date. Why now? Why this book? What's the situation in Wales? Um, Well, firstly, thanks everyone for coming. I see some people I actually have seen at my book launch and at another event about Welsh independence here. You have an insatiable appetite to hear me say (laughs) the same thing over and over again. Uh, But yeah, thanks for coming. Um, So uh, why why did I write it and why do I think now? Um, I think it's because the conversation was being had. I think ultimately a lot of people are are realising that what we have at the moment just isn't working for Wales. I don't think it's working for England either or or Scotland for that matter. Um, And they're going to be looking for alternatives. Um, I think think the problem is that um, if there's not, I think Brexit, well Brexit showed us a lot of things, but if it showed us anything, it's if you have a debate from a point of view of being uninformed, it doesn't solve anything. You just end up just getting mired and mired, can I swear? just mired in shit um, and it, it just means that you, you no one finishes that debate feeling like they've moved forward or any better off or anything's been settled so the idea of the book was the debate about Welsh independence is being had so the only thing that remains to be decided is the quality of that debate so the book is essentially a toolkit for forming an opinion um, uh, it, it comes to it with I say without bias I'm sure we've all got our, our biases but um, I didn't really have a, a dog in this fight at the time. Wales is my home, it's where I live, and I wanted it to whatever would be the best for the future. So I almost tried to convince myself into an opinion on Welsh independence just through, like, I spent a year just speaking to as many people, many of them that are in this room tonight, uh, who are much more informed on this topic than I am. Um, and it was to present a uh, accessible toolkit for forming your own view for people in Wales, um, so that when they are faced with the, the memes and the gifs on Facebook, they have something that they can actually respond to and go, well, actually, that's not quite how it is, or actually, that isn't quite right. Um, so if they've come to an opinion, they've come to it in the right way. Right. And Jerry, Scotland mm. is quite clearly in a very different place to Wales in terms of its debate on independence. Mm. We've had 
a referendum in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Opinion polls um, narrower than ever. I think you said today there's been one 56% in favour of independence. Mm -hmm. And you've had this culminating in the debate about a future referendum in the Supreme Court uh, verdict recently. Mm -hmm. Where does Scotland find itself now? Um, Scotland finds itself in a kind of a bit of limbo, really, in a way. Um, we are eight years from our independence referendum of 2014. We are 15 years into SNP rule um, in the Scottish Parliament, which I, I know seems a short period of time compared to the Welsh Labour Party, which <laughs> I, I was reliably informed it's a hundred years of uh, you know successive uh, election victories, which is worse and less competitive than Scottish football, um, which is a, well done. Um, um, uh, where we are, I think, is a place where the um, the pro-independence argument and the pro-union argument have got work to do in Scotland. They, bo they both are, in a way, uh, lacking something. There's, there's been a lack of work by the SNP since 2014. Um, there's been a constant sense of by, by the SNP leadership, Nicola Sturgeon, of, of, of a kind of, trying to use the words carefully, pretense that an indie ref is around the corner to practically keep the troops happy, keep them quiet. Um, the, the play towards the Supreme Court that Jess referenced um, was... Um, on one level long overdue, but it was also done with the illusion of aiming towards an independence referendum in 2023 that everyone but a few sad people <laughs> knew wasn't going to happen. And, and personally, I've never liked politics that is not, uh, is not being straight with people. Uh, and so a lot of us had a bit of a problem with that. But the pro-union argument is, is obviously lacking in all sorts of ways, <laughs> you know, the state of UK politics. Um, and Gordon Brown's commission, which you know, has been a long, you know, awaited, threatened, <laughs> um, is clearly um, you know, not going to provide the, the, the whole um, answer as a prospectus and as this kind of strange um, halfway house. But as I, as I explore in my book, there's a case for independence, but it needs serious, serious work to do to answer some of the, the concerns that Scotland that is not yet convinced. And the case for the union needs to involve some kind of strategic reset. And one of these, or even both of these, might, might actually be, be beyond both of those perspectives. Um. I'm struck by both of these books have a clear sense of kind of pragmatism and realism. And if you contrast that with, we've already mentioned the B with Brexit and the referendum, which had none of that, mm. I think it's arguable. How do you inject more pragmatism and more kind of mature debate and discourse into what is quite an emotive issue and can increasingly be an emotive issue in Wales? I uh, don't have that debate on social media, I'd suggest is <laughs> probably, probably the best way to do it. Um, I think it's... Um, People uh, often confuse an argument with a dialogue, um, and I think that's part of the problem. That's kind of one of the reasons for writing the book. I think the most important thing for Wales, uh, one of the one of the few conclusions I actually come to in the book, I promise it is worth reading, um, is that Wales has to have this conversation, whether or not you get to the point where you conclude, yeah, independence is the right thing, the very fact that we're having that conversation as opposed to just being buffeted by decisions made in other parts of the UK, I think is a really, really important step forward. And he's actually, Wales has come a long way, and I think um, Brexit, but to a great extent, COVID has accelerated that. I think there's just a realisation that, oh God, we can, actually, we can actually do something different. We might not have an inquiry about it afterwards, um, but, um, but we, we can do something different. So um, I, I think the way to, to have that debate is just to be really upfront. Like I use the example in the book about water. Um, I lose track of the amount of times I see about how Wales is going to be bankrolled on the back of selling water to England. And... Uh, uh, figures from the Wales government centre just show it, it just doesn't it doesn't add up. You might make a uh, you might make a small amount of money, but ultimately it'll be cheaper for England to take the salt out of seawater. So, don't have this debate based on 
false promises. That's the best thing you can you can do if you're really if you're serious about having an independent Wales as opposed to being seen to campaign for an independent Wales, then you have to have this debate in the most realistic way possible. It's really easy to put things on Facebook, get loads and loads of likes from people who already agree with you, and you've done absolutely nothing to forward this goal that you, prepare, you pretend to care about. If what you want is an independent Wales, the biggest thing you can do is to confront the real challenges it faces, in my view. And Jerry, do you find that those lessons have been learned since the 2014 referendum? Um, well, no, um, in, 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 in the most valuable part. I mean, one is like, for, just to take an obvious example, the SNP are the dominant party in Scotland. They want to remain that, and everything they do is on maintaining that show, just like the Scottish Labour Party did before that. And that actually, I mean, in a, in a, in a story that you'll be familiar with here, they both come from traditions of what are, we had in Scotland, of court parties, which were the parties that operated around the King or Queen's patronage uh, when we were a, an independent uh, kingdom. So we've known this tradition, and you've known that tradition uh, for long. But underneath that, since 2014, the dominant narratives talk about yes and no. Scotland is not yes and no. These are not binary tribes facing each other. That We are not even a 50-50 nation because there's constantly change and flux and churn going on all the time. So. You have things like, um, a term I came up with in the independence referendum was a term called the missing million, which is the Scots that hadn't voted for 20, 25 years. And those people turned out in the independence referendum. They turned out and voted for the first time in 20, 25 years. So you know, the layers of who is the political constituency is constantly changing and churning. And um, an independence supporter um, and blogger, a friend of mine, um, said this spontaneously in a pub one night with no, no preparation. She just came up with it. She said, there are no such thing as no voters. There are only people that voted no. And, and I just said to her, do you prepare that? She said, no, I just came up with it. And it is absolutely brilliant because if you think about it, it's, it's about not labelling people. It's not as lots of SNP politicians do, label every person that voted no as a yun, you know, <laughs> as, as a British nationalist, and, and vice versa, um, parts of no say that about yes, everyone is a Scottish nationalist and, you know, a brave heart and so on. So underneath those dominant voices that we were talking about, there's just an awful lot of, like, you know, nuance and shades of grey. And for the side that will establish a convincing majority, that's the Scotland they need to address. You don't, you're not going to win people over by calling them yuns or, uh, or, 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 or Braveheart Scottish Nationals. It's finding different languages for different constituencies. Yeah, I, I'd just echo that. I mean, I, um, at the start of the book, I pretty much, well, I say, uh, we can all agree on almost everything. We all agree that we want less uh, child poverty in Wales. We all agree we want a more functioning Wales, which serves the people here better. The only question is that we might disagree on is how you get there. Um, uh, and I'd be open to actually anything that got us to that point. So that's, I try and come at the book from a very, um, from a point of view of utility, what's the best for Wales. And if you have that conversation, you're all, you're sharing like 90% of your ideals. It's just how you get there. I think obviously if you want to bring it down to things like identity, it gets a bit more confusing. There's some people I met who, if I said that an independent Wales would have just been it'd been like that scene in um, Monty Python when um, the Holy Grail when they're just lying in the mud, just throwing around. If you said yes, there'll be an independent Wales, they'd have taken it. But I think most people, um, if most people already thought that, we'd already have support for independence. The thing you need to convince is all the people who don't already agree with you, and you do that by showing them how their lives will be improved. I'm going to dig into that point about improving people's lives. Um, Jerry, in your book, I was really struck by the. Um, 
detail. Um, Save the Children, I think, did a report and they found that a child born in 2013 in one part of the outskirts of Glasgow had a life expectancy of 28 years longer than a child born on the other side of Glasgow. Well, in Wales, 34% of children um, living are living in poverty. Is this the question we need to answer in, in this debate around independence and Wales and Scotland's constitutional future is, is how we actually tackle these problems of inequality that are deeply entrenched in our society in the UK and we all agree oh, it just isn't working. It, it fundamentally is. I mean, what I, what I say to people all the time in independence um, you know, meetings is, and, and people are very receptive to independence has work to do to convince that Scotland not convinced. And independence cannot be about, the SNP cannot be about the status quo. It has to be about change and, and believable change, not something that's some pie in the sky thing. And in that, it's got work to do on the economy, it's got work to do on democracy. You know, our democracy can't be, we measure, you know, Scottish Parliament good versus Westminster bad. That's a terrible measurement, you know. I mean, who's going to start from there? And the point you're making about um, social justice is the distributional consequences of what we have done as a devolved set of institutions have been to deliberately not redistribute towards those that need. Under Labour and the Lib Dems and, and now under the SNP. So we need to have, have that, that conversation about, about inequalities and then whether we can as a nation you know, build and mobilise the political will to address that. And these are complex things. So the, the figures you said, you, you quote, they're actually way complex because as, as all things are underneath them. But it's not as easy as Andrew Neil, you know, sorry, or Fraser Nelson, and they had berating Scotland by saying, oh, your life expectancy is the lowest in Western Europe and it's at a level of Iraq. These are, and, and the SNP have thus failed. The SNP have failed on some of this, that is true. But it's deep longitudinal generational issues that have ended, you know, resulted in us having these health and And that then implies that, yeah, Andrew Deal's always going to say that, but that some of us, you know, in some parts of our politics, have mature um, conversations about these things. And just as a final point about this, what it comes down to, in part, political will, but for some people, independence is an end in itself. That's the principle, you know, the Scotland why not argument. Uh, I personally never liked that argument. Um, uh, because it doesn't really get you anywhere. Lots of nations are not independent, and you don't get a majority that way. The, the Scot independence as the means to an end of the kind of society that addresses these things is what some of us are interested in. And that, that then means political will um, and work, but that's what a large part of the independence coalition is about. They're not Scottish nationalists. They don't want to be framed as Scottish nationalists. They are social democrats who have, for now, you know, given up on, on the United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, well, echo all that. I think uh, if you want an example of, you know, contrasting um, fortunes, people very close to each other, just look across the river, that uh, area of Riverside, um, you can see across the river has the highest level of child poverty in Wales. Um, and that's not a, an area of valleys, that's in the middle of Cardiff. And right across, they can see the second highest uh, earning place, which is they can literally see a billion pounds of development right from their window. So, um, but in the, talking about poverty, so in the book, I say, you know, can we fix, if we, if, poverty is one of the reasons you advocate for independence. Can we fix it now? And I think the answer is, within the current setup of the United Kingdom, I think the answer is unequivocally no, um, especially given the lack of political will. If you want to know how hard it would be to fix, just look at the fact, um, just weeks ago, Rishi Sunak pointed out that poverty, how much poverty has fallen since 2011, but it's, it's using an absolute measure of poverty. So it's just relative to 2011 figures. Ultimately, in about 20 years, we'll all be out of poverty. It doesn't matter if we can't pay our bills, we won't be in poverty by that definition. And I mean, if you're not even going to measure the actual problem, I'd suggest that the problem, the chances of you fixing it are pretty unlikely if you're not even going to acknowledge it's there. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how um, I think you have to frame it. Is and I, I'm not saying independence is the answer um, to this, um, but if you're coming at these really, really big questions, you've got to start with acknowledge what we've got now isn't working, and the only question is how do you fix them? And if you are, at whatever your reasons for advocating for independence, I think that's what you have to appeal to, and that's what's got to be your aim, is to try and solve these really deep problems, because only Wales became this poor within the union. You can't look at it and say, well, Westminster's been a great custodian of, um, of Wales, uh, and, you know, and to suggest that it's suddenly going to improve because you know, there's a change of party in Westminster, I think is probably short-sighted and um, probably a bit delusional. I think the common theme that struck me from both of these books and from the um, Commission's interim report today is this idea that what we have now isn't working. And these books obviously talk about independence, but the Commission have two other options still on the table that they intend to work on over the next year. Is there any scope for federalism being part of the debate in Scotland? And obviously there's a different conversation going on here in Wales. There, there, there is scope for different, different constitutional futures, obviously. And even under the terms of independence and union, there's lots and lots of nuance in between. For example, just as a, a quick summary, in 2014, the offer of independence from the SNP was really about a bit of union and a bit of independence. But it was framed by Alex Salmon's, you know, Alex Salmon's, you know, rumbustious, you know, charming as it was seen then character as being, you know, to some full independence. But he was actually proposing something that lots of SNP people, if they thought about it, would have regarded um, as problematic. So one of the things I explore in the book, I've, I've always had this view that Scottish independence, inter-independence in a way, well, Scottish independence historically was always involved in the last hundred years, really, basically an agreement of some kind of pan-UK um, institutions and and kind of you know cooperations, and never been never been separatism because um, the SNP used to go on dominion states and things like that. So I've always thought that in a modern setting, a kind of pooled sovereignty would be an, um, a marvelous contribution to to the world. But that hits the buffers or hits the problem of. What about that English political tradition that doesn't, at the moment, uh, have any real uh, like of that? So we have to deal, in any set of situations, independence, federalism, um, with, with the question of England. And um, that's just, for some of us, a, a big issue. Um, Gordon Brown's report, you know, yet again, you know, he, I mean, he used to talk about near federalism, now he's not near federalism. And uh, really, you cannot bring about constitutional change, I think, within a British system at the centre that is a halfway house you have to remake what I call um, it's still an imperial centre it's still an empire state it's a state that is not about the well-being of us its citizens so that needs to be changed and if it could be done by a kind of quasi-federalism or a con-federalism a lot of us would be fine with that if it worked for the citizens of the people of the citizens of the UK yeah I, I spoke to um, lots of people well hundreds of people um, I over the course of the research and um, I think um, I, I said to, to a lot, you know, what would you is it easier just to try and reform the UK than go for Welsh independence? And one of the some people said, yeah, maybe it is. Others would said, well, if we want to see change, if we want to see that in Wales, you if you want to get independence, you only have to convince most people in Wales. Whereas if you want to see wider federalism, you have to convince most people in the whole of the UK. So that's that was an argument they put forward. I, I mean, I, I said about um, uh, I looked at Canada a lot as part of the research, because obviously Quebec came incredibly, incredibly close uh, to voting to leave Canada, and now actually polls in Quebec 
put it, actually, it's some favourite, but it's much, much, much lower. It's not really on the table politically at all. And um, a part of that was because they made some quite large reforms. They addressed a lot of the concerns people had, the issues around language, for instance, but also around um, like financial concerns as well. And it shows that it is possible to come back from the brink of being really, really close to, to breaking up a country. Um, it is possible to do that, but part of the where the parallels end with Canada is the relative size, and that's, I think, part of the challenge of federalism. Quebec, um, although you know, it's a small part of Canada overall, it's also one of the biggest states, whereas uh, England's 80% you know, of, um, of uh, the UK. And if you wanted to then break that up into regions, how do you even start doing that? How do you even define that? Is Wales then a region within a UK, the same as like the Northwest? I don't know how that kind of sits with me, actually. Um, but... Um, a lot of people I spoke to said, actually, like kind of real diehard indie supporters said, the reason we've kind of even formed Yes Cymru is because someone needs to take the maximalist position. Somebody needs to be saying this is uh, to push for this, so that at least you might get some concessions. I, I think uh, I think because of the Welsh independence vote has been going on for well, centuries, but I think it's only become main, really truly mainstream in the last five six years, um, and I think that. Um, it <laughs> Now that it has become more mainstream, a lot of people are very new to it. Views aren't entrenched. And in, I think quite a, not small, but some concessions now would actually move a lot of people who are at the moment in an independence camp because they just see no hope in the current UK into kind of accepting alternatives which aren't independence. So question for you then, um, and I suspect we might have very different answers from mm -hmm. either side of the table here. If Labour get into government at a UK mm -hmm. level after the next general election, do things shift? Yes, they do. They do, and I, and I think, I think it's it's a good thing. Um, firstly, um, a Labour government coming in in 2024. I mean, I mean, look at the economic, social, and democratic state of the UK. It's 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 absolutely pining for change, and and I and I wish that government could be a success. I I I I think it would face huge challenges, obviously. How it goes further um, than the Blair uh, Brown government, if we call it that, is it like a, like a dual monarchy, um, on 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 you know just economic, social, and the democratic and the partial constitutional reforms will be a big ask because I think it would have to build a coalition that was was wider than Labour won in '97 because remember when Labour won in '97 there was there going to be the, the potential coalition with the Lib Dems that Blair balked from, and it would have to be deeper as well because New Labour was was a was a compact with the Conservative Britain that Blair feared. Um, but it would move the Scottish debate in lots of ways. And what it would do, which is good, is like that 15 years of uh, SNP dominance, they have faced less and less challenge till now. They had, you know, the brief, the brief uh, moment of Ruth Davidson as a Scottish Tory star, challenged him a bit, then she uh, blew up or Brexit blew her up or whatever. And, and the Labour Party has been flatlining and going backwards for a period. Um, and then now because of State of the UK Tories, there's a little bit of life there, perhaps. And you know, all political monopolies need challenge. And that Sturgeon version of the SNP, and somebody in the SNP put it to me last um, week, that the big divide in the SNP isn't about independence or, you know, confronting Scotland's big choices. It's people like Nicola Sturgeon who grew up knowing the SNP lost elections and experiencing that and having a hunger to win. And people, the new gang, that have only experienced winning and they just think they're the new insider class. And, and I think that version of politics, the latter, always eventually, well, fortunately in, in the UK, comes a cropper. And, and having a bit of a, you know, 
a bit of a, a bit of a challenge will be will be a good thing. And I think Labour can, you know, either they can remake this union, which is a tough ask, admittedly, or if they don't, and if they don't remake it economically, then that brings independence, which won't have gone away, brings it back live and is a catalyst, perhaps, to a different kind of SNP politics under the post-Sturgeon leadership. Uh, yeah, if you talk about political monopolies needing challenge, I think everyone in Wales is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so um, would um, a Labour win affect uh, independence in Wales? I think in terms of support for independence, I think, I actually think not having a Conservative government would be, in terms of support for Indy, would completely erode a lot of people who've come to it in recent years. Um, uh, would it actually affect the overall issues that underpin the problems with devolution? I think I'd be... I think that remains to be seen. Um, I'd be sceptical that it's going to tackle all the real issues that underpin what I think are the merits of the independent movement. I don't think they will be tackled by it, but I think in terms of widespread support of people, people who've come to independence since 2016, um, I think it would quite significantly move the polls away from support um, for independence, at least initially. I suspect we could also see a new thick of it series about the tensions between Welsh Labour and UK yeah. Labour if it did, if they did <laughs> actually win that election. Um, I want to dig back into kind of the realities of what independence would look like. We've already touched on poverty, but the economic arguments mm -hmm. are going to be key. I think you said, you quoted someone in your book, Jerry, that said it's the economy stupid post-referendum. Uh, post, um, We've recently seen um, a report uh, basically arguing that Wales's fiscal deficit wouldn't be as much as uh, suggested previously because Wales wouldn't have to pay for pensions. Um, I think that's widely disputed. What lessons can be learned from kind of these arguments that are disputed? Um, I'm trying to put this politely. Uh, <laughs> how do you tackle? kind of these discussions and debates that are kind of widely disrefuted or debated in, in a kind of mature way um, and put proper information out there. Right, well, you need to tackle it in a mature way and you need to tackle it in an immature way as well. Let me put it like that. Because one is really, um, there's part of the uh, Independence Coalition want to debate, you know, the, um, whether there's actually a fiscal transfer and get into like trying to destroy the, the GERS figures in Scotland, um, you know, uh, not even caring the fact that they're Scottish government figures produced by their own side, you know. Um, now, admittedly, in GERS figures, you know, how you, how you territorialise public spending involves problems and all that. But there is undoubtedly a fiscal transfer takes place. And so one of the things you have to do, there, there's a couple of levels of things you have to do here. One is there has to be a debate about what the Scottish economy is, because as, as a quote in the book, there's, there's the Scottish economy that's not measured in these, in, in these figures. So the UK economy is, a, is, a, is an economy in the global context that sits massively outside the UK. You know, the outsourced UK, the, the offshore arrangements, the, 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 the shell companies, etc. And Danny Dorling at Oxford has said it's something like seven times the size of GDP. This is the UK. And we have no measurements of any kind for this in Scotland, because Scotland's got financial centres and so on. But he said to me um, that it would, could be could be something in the region of four times the size of Scottish GDP, the Scottish economy in the global context. So you've got, what I'm saying here is we have to have some proper research done that isn't just like taking the figures of the current economic model, that isn't just talking about you know, Barnett consequentials and so on. And the other thing is where I, I was serious when I said about immaturity here, you've got to deal with the reality of politics. The 350 million pound lie on the bus, on the Brexit bus, is the sort of thing that will be, because there is a transfer, so in the next referendum it'll be £1,900 transfer. The, the independence, uh, a, a soft no voter said this to me when she was going from no to yes after the, the, the referendum. 
she said to me, there has to be some kind of equivalent yes figures on a bus to challenge the $350 million, or the Scottish equivalent. Otherwise, that will be that will be a framing device. This is somebody who, who voted no, didn't think himself political, telling me this after the vote. Because lots of people, she said, I found my voice in the independence draft. I now regard myself as political. And I think there's there's something missing in the SNP about independence. You know, since 2014, we've had the SNP Growth Commission by Andrew Wilson, and that was just parked, you know, basically. Um, and underneath that as well, there's got to be um, in this, independence involves risk, you know, obviously. And, and one of the big things people are against independence for now, um, that are soft no voters, is, 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 is it worth it? Is that pain worth it? You know, what gain do we get for the pain? Completely legitimate view. And so independence has to, as well as having some economic answers and figures, has to embrace doubt, which it didn't in 2014. And the politics and psychologies of risk because people don't like risk and loss in life. We know that. They, they, they measure loss, you know, they can see as more, they need more gain to offset against the loss. And independence needs to get into that. Somebody even said to me the other week, they need to get into nudge economics. Um, but I think that's a little bit too far because that's a bit discredited. You know, that was David Cameron. But there needs to be a more mature and with a little bit of immaturity and even maybe, you know, dirty fighting in it as well. So a bus, well. Uh, yeah, obviously you need a bus. Um, uh, I always think if you're debating, talking about independence with someone, you can only really understand whether they're credible or not if they use the phrase, it depends or we don't know. Because if someone says it depends or we don't know, they've actually thought about it. If they go, if you say, can we afford it? And they go, yeah. Um, then then I, I would suggest that maybe, maybe they haven't fully embraced or they're not speaking to you in a genuine way. Um, another thing you should definitely hear people say who are credible is it's complicated because it's really, really, really complicated. Take, take the pensions, like Plaid Cymru, yes, we found out Wales can afford independence because England are going to pay the pensions. That's, that's, really, that's really good. And maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. Maybe um, Wales wins a referendum. Uh, Wales wins, God. God, that makes me sound like I'm on one side or another. Maybe a referendum is won and um, England finish that and they go, well, fair play, guys. Yep, you've made your decision. We're going to give you a... We'll take the pensions. We'll, we'll, we'll take all them. Never, obviously, all of our uh, old people in the Northwest have retired to Colwyn Bay anyway. We'll take all the pensions. <laughs> Don't worry, it's great. And maybe they'll do that. Um, but then you're faced with several problems, aren't you? Because eventually those people are going to die and you're going to start taking on the pensions of the people who are becoming pensioners then. So ultimately it's a short-term fix. Um, you've also, was the aim of Welsh independence, was the reason you've gone through this entire tumultuous, this entire big thing, um, uh, was, was, I'm, I'm quite jet-lagged, I should add, um, was the entire reason for doing this so that another country could pay your pensions of your oldest and most vulnerable people? Is that why you went through all of this process so that we could break off the shackles of Westminster so they could also keep paying our pensioners? Do you also want to be in a position where the income of the most vulnerable people in your country are paid, uh, are decided within another parliament in which you have no say whatsoever? That is a horrible situation because they could just decide, well, actually, we're going to cut that in half and then suddenly you're going to have to, to make up that. Um, I, I mean, just to illustrate that it's complicating. Take, I mean, Scotland said um, in 2014, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that they would take the pensions of everyone living within Scotland. That's what... So, okay, fair enough, but what about all the Scottish people who live abroad? Do the UK government carry on paying their pensions? And you could argue that, well, if I move to Australia, the UK government would keep paying my pension, so why shouldn't it, 
why shouldn't it keep doing it if I'm living abroad? But there's that issue of kind of fairness, isn't it? And I always say, uh, I said in the, in the book, these negotiations would be Wales's first step into the international sphere as a truly independent nation. And when you first arrive at a party, you don't want to piss in the punch straight away, do you? You're <laughs> announcing how you're going to conduct yourself. Um, I mean, what if I've... What, how, who, gets, who pays my pension if I worked for 30 years in Wales on quite a low-paid job and then I moved to England uh, and earned like a six-figure salary for three years? Who takes that pension? It's so, so, so complicated. And that's before you even start to dig into private pensions and the fact that Wales and England, the NHS pensions are actually the same pot, for want of a better word. So it's really complicated. Don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise, basically. Um, we're going to take questions in a second, but I just wanted to, on pissing in the punch, talk about the EU really quickly. Um, some of us might be old enough to remember that in the 2014 Indie Ref, the Better Together campaign did a tweet essentially saying that if you wanted to be outside of the EU, vote yes. Um, where do we go from here in terms of the, Indie, um, the EU debate? It's obviously really different in Scotland. Scotland voted to remain. Um, I think your book makes a quite compelling case for being an independent Scotland within the EU. Wills yeah. arguably makes a compelling state for if there is a if there is a um, an independent Wales, it should probably not be within the EU. And I'm not going to mention the porous border because Richard's going to cry. Um, but where do we go in terms of the EU? Yeah. It was funny because um, you know, in terms of when you deal with um, absolute passionate Europhiles, uh, I was doing a debate last Wednesday for Compass um, and uh, I was doing it with Anthony Barnett and he was, um, he was open democracy, charter it, and all that. And he was gently, gently, I would say, berating me for not being absolutely Europhile enough in my book. Um, <laughs> because, because I think he wanted me to, like, you know, staple myself to the, to the European flag or something. And A, it's a big issue in Scotland because Scotland, you know, 62% voted to remain in, in the EU. And, and it's one of the main drivers of people that are going from no to yes is the EU issue. It is still true that because, because the EU issue is very flagged up as one of the many you know, trip points of independence by the no campaign, that, that Scotland, there's an issue of navigation here. Scotland has to vote to decide for independence and then possibly in another referendum, again, vote to decide to be um, EU mem an EU member. And in that, you know, that's... Um, Two sets of negotiations we get, you know, and and also the, the EU uh, membership brings up the issue of the border, you know, the border uh, becoming even more a spectre, and the border will be used as a spectre. And um, I, I still think there is a chance that I, mean, I, th I think we will get have another another independence referendum at some point, although it might be um, <laughs> a sort of semi-circuitous kind of like zigzag route to it. But I still think there's a chance that the, the issues of you know those details, the currency, the borders, and EU membership may trip up the yes side, that Scotland may be actually sort of half wanting to vote for independence and pull itself back at the last minute, which in some respects could be the worst of all worlds. Um, I, I, I naively thought, naively thought that in 2014, because I always knew basically that no, that, that no were going to win, that a vote that got as close as it did would be um, a kind of like, you know, a sabre up the, um, up the, back end of the British establishment. I was, I was trying to be as polite as possible there. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I, it was even one of my reasons for voting. What's, what's not good about terrifying the British establishment? You know, marvellous. And I even caught in the last week when there was the two polls showed yes ahead, you caught people in public places. This was not my imagination. Sharing like the fact we were terrifying the British political establishment and had collective power. And I thought then that having felt that, people would want, you know, to go further exercising that 
and, and even the British establishment, this is where I'm really naive, might have realised it was an existential crisis of the UK. Now, the, that last point clearly you know, has just not happened. And it's still true that those trip points could still be, could still be the hurdles that stop people, you know, say, we like collective power, we like terrifying the British establishment, let's go for it. I think we just got flags instead, right? Yeah, I think, um, I, I know I don't really say, but Scotland and Wales, I don't think are, are, the, are the same. In this, I think that there are differences, and then that's instantly something that really winds me up about uh, debates around Welsh independence. Is when people say, "Ah, oh, Scotland will have gone by then, so it'll be easier." And it's just like, firstly, that just presumes the decision of people in Scotland, but also the idea that um, we need to be independent and stand on our own two feet. But don't worry, someone else will have shown us how to do it. Is not a mindset thing that I think is compatible. Um, Sorry for people who've heard me do this speech lots of times, but um, when it comes to the EU, if we put aside um, issues around the border and all of that stuff, if we, especially if the current arrangements between the UK, uh, between um, the UK and the EU are the same, put aside the issues around currency and the challenges that you're going to face there, put aside the potential hypocrisy of saying that um, I, I opposed Brexit because I thought it was backwards, but Brexit was arguing that we need to make decisions closer to where we are, and actually that's what Welsh independence is doing. But anyway, put aside all that, um, and put aside the issues of potentially joining the EU, which you might actually face. Um, let's just look at the position of timeframes. So a, a huge, huge amount of people came to Welsh independence because they wanted um, to rejoin the EU. It was a vehicle for getting their EU membership back. That's why they did it. And if that is your aim, that's perfectly commendable and as a europhile myself um i i can totally sympathize with it but if we just do some some maths so uh jesse you're right to keep count here so oh. um <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, we'll, do it, we'll do it okay so the next the next senate election is in 2026 it's, yeah it's 26 yeah. jesus christ can you imagine the credibility going then <laughs> <laughs> um uh, it's in 2026 so um we're talking four years if let's do let's be let's make this the most ambitious time frame ever if plaid cymru romp to an incredible majority um in in that election and they keep to what they said they'd do in the last one which is where in their first term they would um hold an indicative referendum and in the second term they would hold a full um, referendum say that say they keep to this and there's no issues with that what would be looking at 2031 when they even get to that term so they hold that straight away great so say there's a year there so we're in 2032 and Wales votes to leave hooray great uh, Wales has voted to leave um, we've got um, Adam Price saying this is our independence day and everything like that and people are just memeing him next to Nigel Farage saying the same thing but um, so we're in, we're in 1930 uh, so we're in um, 2031 um, you then are not going to have, and there's very strong arguments not to have a very, very quick divorce. Say we go with three, four years. Let's say four years, which actually would be a very long period for the negotiation and for it then to happen. But let's say it's four years, just so we're in a nice round number of uh, 2035. So you've now got an independent Wales. The idea that the first thing an independent Wales is going to do is go, right, got to join the EU straight away. I think is pretty pretty laughable. I think there's going to be a lot of other things on the plate of um, the Welsh government um, uh, at the time. So let's say let's say within three years they hold a referendum on the EU. So we're now in 2038. Uh, say that happens, you then begin the negotiation with the EU. Obviously, you could start the negotiation before, but let's do it like this. So. By that point, Wales has been out of the um, EU for almost two decades. It will have probably diverged a long way in terms of standards and stuff like that. Um, but let's say that negotiation takes 
let's be super, super generous again. Let's say it's two years, just because I want it to be 2040. Um, <laughs> so we're now, we're now 18 years on. And these are all insane timeframes, by the way. We're now 18 years on from now, where we are right now. And I mean, look at what the EU looked like 18 years ago. Okay, It was only just having the next 10 countries join. The idea that um, the EU that we're joining then will be the same EU as we're grieving for now, I think is ridiculous. So you're, you're, going, you're trying to break up the United Kingdom as a vehicle to get to something that won't even exist by the time you get there. Um, and I think that's, and that, that could be a completely reasonable target in your head and that could be what you want to do. But I think if you are selling it as we need an independent Wales because that will give us our EU membership back, I think that's a really flawed way of approaching it. And I think there's much stronger arguments for an independent Wales for addressing that. Great, that's a nice point to end on. Let's um, take some audience questions. We had one over there at the back. Is there a mic coming round? So I'm not pro-independent. Uh, I don't speak Welsh. Uh, I, this is not why I'm here. Why I'm here is my dad had a heart attack uh, a few weeks ago. He's now on a waiting list. And what I was trying to understand was, wow, how is the NHS in this mess? What I would like to understand is, I think Labour are on the journey. I definitely think they are definitely reforming really quickly. Problem is, if you can't you get a general election quicker than what we're doing? Because the problems and the NHS and things are happening now, today. They're affecting my dad, probably affecting a lot of people in this room, personally, whether it be mothers, fathers, wherever. Now, that's what I care about, and that's why I want Welsh independence, or Labour in government, or someone just to fix the NHS. Um, do you have any thoughts on how <laughs> 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 well, um, well, we'll, we'll take a couple of questions and then we'll come back to the panelists. I think there was one over here as well. Hi, um, so I'm Liza, I'm with Wales Governance Centre, and um, the, the idea for independence, and I speak as a foreigner, is we are already not being able to make decisions that are needed. Mm -hmm. So even with representation, and I say this with a lot of quote, quotes, um, as she mentioned, we already can't make the decisions that we would like to make, as that's why it led Scotland to its referendum, and it's leading Scotland to wanting a new referendum. Um, and she has an issue with the NHS. I'm an immigrant, so you know, being an immigrant in Wales, but I'm actually dependent on UK legislation that the UAs that that Wales can't decide on, and Scotland can't decide on. So, what I want to talk about really is not necessarily independence because this is an island nation. We are codependent. We are frontier, we are together, but there are issues in terms of Scotland thinks differently as a nation, it acts differently, Wales does so as well. Um, so rather than we need to be independent for a European Union, but we need to be independent for our own decisions, but maybe have we considered other alternatives such as have we looked elsewhere, not necessarily independence, not necessarily a federalist, but free uh, movement, free trade, 
but that allows these nations to make their own decisions in terms of um, foreign deals, immigration, and budgeting. Great, and we'll take one more question then we'll come back to the uh, audience. We've got Neil here. Uh, I'm not a, a pension specialist, but it does seem to me that uh, post-independence there will be negotiations over pensions with the UK government, or the RUK government, as I prefer to think of it. Uh, and, uh, and over time, I can imagine that there will be a tailing out of support from the UK government towards uh, their legal liabilities, as I see them, to pay pensions which were earned under a UK government, one way or other, private or, or public. Now, uh, the, the other thing is, in relation to this, is that the concern that we might have over paying for that pension does not need to exist. We, as an independent country, post-independence, will have the ability to finance anything we want. Anything we want. Now, there are certain limitations on this, Maynard Keynes spoke about this in 1942 and said anything we want we can afford and that goes for stadia in each city if we want to do that, or swimming pools or tennis courts or anything like that. With a fiat currency, which is what we would have, or independent currency, then we can afford it, we can do it. And so the idea, the question is how would you pay for it, that's just risible. It's a, a non-question. Of course we can do it with our own currency. If we think about staying with the sterling, we're stuffed. If we stay with that same economic model, we're stuffed. The UK is going downhill big time, and it's going to keep on going because they don't have the governance structures, they don't have the people, they don't have the ideas Wales has. We can escape that nexus and create our own world in our own way. And we can do that with we have our own, our own currency. Great. I'm going to bring um, our panellists back in now. So we've got questions there about making decisions now to affect the actual kind of lives and health and well-being of people. Um, something else about uh, another question about decision making for um, free trade and movement. And then um, a, a question about currency and pensions and decision making about um, about finances. I think in your book, Will, you mentioned the punt. Uh, so how, how much potential does the punt have? Um. <laughs> well, I, I think, um, do you if I just address some of the questions? Right? It's, um, I think in many ways, what you said just backs up what we were saying, is that the current situation doesn't work, does it? it, it it's, it, it's not built to optimise the situation for the people that live here, and there are a huge range of issues. I mean, I, I don't think any of us have got time to address every single one of them I in total, but I think um, it, what you've said demonstrates the massive need for change. Um, and I, I would totally agree with that. Um, what I would say on the, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can afford um, whatever we want. I mean, we can, we can get into um, what it will mean to have our own currency and what that can mean in terms of our ability to um, print money. And uh, I, I do think that every credible, well, remotely credible idea for an independent Wales involves Wales having its own currency. I don't think it's remotely credible that you could have an independent Wales with the pound or, or um, the euro straight from the start. Um, but whether or not you think the question of can we afford it is credible, you are, it is in many ways, when it comes to winning this argument, is in a way irrelevant because most people who are going to be voting are going to be asking you that question of is it affordable? And you can say to them, well, we, we'll be able to afford it because you know, it's, 
you can. We, we will just be able to afford it. People are going to want to see your figures. They're going to want it to add up. And if you haven't got a credible answer to that, you're not, there's not, there's, you won't win any vote. There won't be any success um, unless I think you can put forward um, something credible because people, people don't like to leap into the dark. I mean, a lot of people in Wales are really, really struggling, but you, you don't just need to convince those people. You need to convince the person who... You know, they live in the valleys, but they um, they went. They did an electrician's qualification. They now run their own business. They're doing well. They have a holiday once a year. They've got the Sky um, the Sky subscription. They've got uh, a car. You know, you need to tell them why they should risk that, and they're going to have really serious questions and legitimate questions, I think. And just to say, well, we will be able to afford it without showing your workings pretty thoroughly, I think, um, just means that you'll be unsuccessful in your venture. Um, a couple of the comments uh, were asking things like, but why can't we have exchange, uh, practically, you know, beyond the kind of models uh, offer? Why can't we have an early general election? You know, things like that. You, you, what you have to deal with in the here and now is the tyranny of the House of Commons. You know, we live in a, in a system that has a thing called parliamentary sovereignty, which I, I think is a, is a repulsive part of the problem of how the United Kingdom is misgoverned. But that's what we have at the moment. And we have a Tory government with a major notional majority, I think it's like 60 or something with all the ones they've got rid of. And, but, uh, and despite Rishi Sunak you know, operating like he's running a minority government, we still have a Tory government that's going to run, despite the fact of being bankrupt and all that, and, and you know, uh, until 2024. There's no, there, I mean, you know, we're not going to have an insurrection and, um, or, or somehow you know, find out they're illegal or something and, and boot them out of power before 2024. This UK parliament, bankrupt parliament, is going to run till 2024. Somebody said about um, Scotland and, and wanting an indie ref. I've got a whole chapter in my book on this, right? <laughs> about how Scotland gets an indie ref. Scotland does not on any measurement now want an independence referendum in the next couple of years. And that is because... Covid, Ukraine, you know, cost of living crisis, people are exhausted. What people do want, again, I've got a whole exploration of those three uh, measurement points I've got how when Scotland gets a consensus for an independence referendum. What, what Scottish opinion does coalesce around is Scotland's right to decide its own future. People love that in Scotland. And pro-union people, no, it's a try not to say unionist, pro-union people say, we know that's a very strong message. That really gets. But it's also true that I think, I think it was, as you said, Scotland acts uh, differently. That, that is true. We act differently as a, as a polity and as a political community. But at the same time, there is no one Scotland. There are multiple different ideas of Scotland being contested all the time. And one of the arguments I make in the book is, just to make this a brief point, is that Scotland has the dominant version shifted in the last 50, 60 years to become quasi-independent. And that is about much more than politics. That's about culture. That's about how people see themselves culturally represented. That's about how people remember the past and so on. It's even how people see, see Scotland, which you don't think about this very much, but how they see Scotland geopolitically because it, it relates to things like the nuclear weapons question and the issue of the American nukes that came to Scotland and the British independent nuclear deterrent in Scotland. So all those factors are a longer tail of this debate than, say, just you know, blaming on what Margaret Thatcher did in the 1980s, which means it won't go away um, anytime soon. Great, thank you. Um, I know that was an incredibly quick canter through... Um, very, very thorny and complex issues. I think we could be here all night. Um, but for now, I just want to say a huge thank you to our speakers who have been fantastic. And thank you all for coming. We hope you enjoyed the recording of this event. Do follow us on social networks at Hiraith Pod to hear more about upcoming events and other news from the team. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, 
Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.